Hello and welcome to Innovation Inequality, a podcast dedicated to bringing inequities in tech to the forefront through candid conversations with founders, investors, and stakeholders. I'm Ray Leach, the founding CEO of Jumpstart, a full-service venture capital and economic development firm helping to unlock the full potential of entrepreneurship. We've seen how inclusion and collaboration can shape better ideas and bigger outcomes. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and influencers dedicated to pushing equity forward. Today, we're going to hear from Danielle Sidnor, the CEO and founder of We Win Strategies Group, a firm that's working to create win-win outcomes for individuals, organizations, and communities. She's joined by Rodney Williams, founder of Listener and co-founder of Solo Funds. We're glad you've joined us. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Danielle Sidnor, and today I'm excited to be joined by Rodney Williams. How's it going, Rodney? Hello, thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Appreciate you as an entrepreneur taking some time out to chat with us and hopefully drop some jewels for all of the listeners. (laughs) I hope uh, the jewels is all mutual. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) So, you know, I think we are going to have a great discussion There are so many business owners or aspiring business owners out there that are listening to podcasts, they're reading books, they're searching the web for information, and sometimes it feels overwhelming. And so I hope that today, as we discuss this information, we leave people with some real nuggets that make them understand the complexities of moving into tech-based entrepreneurship, but also leave them inspired with things that they might be able to do to overcome some of those obstacles and continue to press forward and ultimately, you know, be successful. Definitely. I've got a couple of questions, but I wanted to start out, Rodney, with a little bit of your background. You have a couple of different businesses that you're uh, founded and involved in and raised money for. If you'd share with us a little bit about how you got into tech-based entrepreneurship and what you're working on today. Uh, Definitely. So, uh, Hello, everyone. Um, As mentioned, Rodney Williams. I actually um, started my career post Howard University grad school where I got my MBA at at Procter & Gamble um, in brand management. I did that for almost five years, and then I went tech. (laughs) Long story short, I I founded my first company, uh, tech company at least. It was called Listener. I'm still active today. Um, Listener is a, um, today it's a solution that helps make certain uh, payment transactions safer using an ultrasonic identifier, amongst many things. Mm-hmm. And then uh, solo funds, which I assisted Travis Holloway in co-founding um, about five years after the first one. Um, solo funds is a marketplace that allows individuals like you or I to invest in each other. Um, and when I mean that, I'm talking about like personal loans. So it allows individuals to fund other Uh, individuals, personal loans. So uh, that's some of the things that I've been up to. So you start at Procter & Gamble right after uh, grad school and then end up in the world of tech. How was that transition and and what really prompted you to leave, you know, a large organization like P&G and venture out on your own? Yeah, you know, for for me, it was a a lot of things that kind of sparked that interest. But I think the number one thing for me was I think some, certain ideas kind of just kind of burn. And for, and I had this idea and it, and it was a, it was a combination of a lot of things that I had learned at Procter & Gamble working with retailers, you know, and it was like an itch that I couldn't scratch. 
And, you know, when you start working on things and you're working on it after you come home from work, sometimes the things that you do after work become work (laughs) where you're doing it all the time. And to be honest, it just continued to move forward. Did you have a background in tech? I mean, how did you build out a team and, and do these things? What was that transition like? The transition from corporate America, you know, for me, I, I approach everything the same way. Um, it's about seeing a problem, coming up with an idea or a solution to fix it. And that's how I attacked my role at Procter & Gamble. I viewed a number of things as, as problems and, you know, I would come up with creative solutions to fix them. You know, when you when you have uh, that entrepreneur itch or that opportunity to to do a problem and lead it yourself, it's that's really the biggest difference is that you go from where you have multiple team members that have the ability to assist you to it's it's really just yourself. And all of a sudden, you know, whether you make it or break it, it's it's up to you to to for that to ever be anything, right? There's no you can't go to your boss and like, well, you know, unfortunately, I, I'm just not going to submit the whatever that day um right. so you you really start to just like craft your own you know future you are the boss exactly so rodney one of the things that i think about is moving from working inside of a large organization to really starting a startup as you think about building a team what were some of the biggest lessons you had to learn about your own leadership style to be ultimately able to be successful and kind of moving from this idea to moving into execution. That's where we all kind of go wrong is that, you know, as, as creative thinkers, we, we tend to be so focused on ideas. Um, mm. the, 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 the gap between the idea and it coming to life is a big gap, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the hardest part is that part. It, it takes a certain level of focus and it takes a, a certain level of really just driving results that I, that I can't even can't even stress. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it takes. Um, you know, I, uh, I retweeted a, a post, I guess, that, you know, Elon Musk was on Clubhouse and, and they had. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I loved it, right? It was like if you if you need encouragement, this is not the thing for you. This is it. This this isn't the thing you should be doing. Yeah. So tell everybody because everybody didn't listen to Clubhouse. So I'm gonna be quiet and let you tell us what Elon Musk's tweet said and 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 why and why you decided to reshare it. Yeah, I mean, he basically was asked, uh, "What words of encouragement would you give an entrepreneur?" And his answer was, "If you need words of encouragement, don't become an entrepreneur." And sometimes you just got to be honest with yourself. You might not be a good entrepreneur. Yeah. You should probably work for one if you are, if you like entrepreneurship, like if you like things about it, you should probably work for an entrepreneur or maybe you should support one, but it is not easier than just working for someone. (laughs) Rodney, is it because people look at like, a side hustle and entrepreneurship as the same thing? Like what, what do you think, is this confusion about the difference between like actually starting a business that turns into an enterprise that hires people that potentially raises money that maybe even goes public versus like, you know, I'm just starting a business. It's one of those things that I think it's hard to grasp, um, you know, when you're watching it and, and, and we, 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 we tend to celebrate all the positive things and never really talk about all the bad things. Um, it looks, it, it look, kind of looks, you know, it's a little bit more glamorous than it, than it may be. Um, it's actually not that glamorous. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's not, you know, I, I'm probably on my 12th meeting today. Um, yeah. I would love to do a ton of other things, but honestly, it's it, 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 yeah, very, very limited capacity time and you don't turn off. It's like literally you're, you're doing whatever it is. When you decide it's yours, it's 24 seven. Yeah. There are a lot of people that think like, when you decide to actually launch, it's got to be the best time. What would you say to a person that's waiting for the perfect time or trying to figure out when is the right time to launch what they're working on? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that actually, you know, there is no good time, right? When you when you have your idea, the only good time is now or immediately. You either do it or you don't. There's no better time. There's no worse time. Um, and... And when you start to think, oh, maybe it'd be better if I do this in the summer, there's things you have to do today for that to be an option in the summer. You know, and that's where I think individuals fail to realize, uh, for, for, for example, Solo Funds. Solo Funds was started three years before it launched. It took three years to launch. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's great to be like some overnight success and think about the Series A and things like that, because uh, you just heard of it. But someone has yeah. been working on that for a very long time, a very yeah. long three years is a long time without ever even seeing it come to life. Um, so hopefully that gives everyone some perspective. So thinking about the amount of time that it takes before the thing actually ever launches. But at the same time, you could have a scenario where or maybe this is not maybe you don't agree with the question that is there ever a point at which an entrepreneur is pouring so much time into a thing? And really, the reason it's taking so long to launch is because they should just let it go as opposed to it's just taking time to launch because you're in that building phase before you can actually go public with it. Yeah. You, you know, what I like to say is that um, you should still have, what's the right word? There's traction, mm-hmm. you know? And what I mean by that is progress. The reason why if you keep moving forward in terms of execution is because you're getting better. Something is happening. You know, so for instance, in those three years, very, very tangible things were happening, right? From understanding from a regulatory standpoint how to get this done, then mm-hmm. building out the team, gaining investors, right? But and the investors were investing in the progress because at that point there was no app. But what was happening in that time period was I know exactly how much it's going to take to get this done in every phase. I know exactly what the team, I understand the business, all of the things that you have to answer for it to be a success was getting done. And and it was getting done in a way that people were even okay giving money to the progress. So Rodney, I mean, it's no secret that you are a black male in a tech space that is largely void of black men. Obviously, we're starting to see more growth um, in this space where more black folks, men and women, are you know moving into the space. But we tend to lot, see a lot of businesses in the black community that are what I call like main street businesses, landscaping, beauty shops, barber salons, restaurants. Why do you think there is such a gap between Black-owned businesses that are just brick-and-mortar, traditional, and even, you know, online e-commerce to really moving into this tech-enabled or tech-based businesses? That's the message that if there's anything that anyone leaves today, you know, when you hear this podcast is that I don't care what you do, you got to realize you're really a technologist. You just own a different part of it. 
And you should say, like, if you are a user, it's okay to be a technologist that uses it, but you are a user. And then the next thing you should take away is that we got to think bigger than what's down the street. So it's nothing wrong with wanting to own a beauty shop or a lawnmower business or whatever the case may be, but how can you make it tech enabled? How can it do something better than it's already done? I, I think as a community, we should stop doing things that we know each other doing. If I hear another friend say, I want to start a consultant company like my friend Mike. But, well, why? But Michael's doing a good job at it. Why don't you just work for Mike? First of all, why don't you want to continue to do the same thing? What is your competitive advantage? What is what makes you different? What is it that what makes what you're doing special? And then make it tech enabled. Yeah. I've dealt with a lot of small businesses and it feels like easier said than done. How do we connect the dots on either examples or resources? Where would you guide somebody that's thinking about for the first time? They listen to you. They finally agree. Yes, I am a technologist. I'm just a user of technology, maybe. But I want to take this idea that I have for a business and I want to make it tech enabled. What would either be some resources or or things that you might suggest somebody do if they're looking to make that leap from just doing business the way they've always seen it done to something that may be more tech-based or tech-enabled? Tech to be completely transparent, right? Um, I, I'm i not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, I got my MBA at Howard, and my undergrad was economics yeah. and finance. Um, and Travis, my co-founder, is also, um, I, he, he was a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual. It, it, Again, what we what happened for us is we our brains switched, and we were like, woke up one day and said we're technologists. The second piece we did was we really got good at what we can get good at. What's the business part of it? Yeah. And you can you don't need a bunch of engineers to figure that out, right? What I mean by that, so for like for something like what we were doing, where we we were like, oh, we want to reinvent the way people lend money. First of all. Right, like, let's. What's the business economics? Like, yeah. how much are they going to make? We got really good at the stuff that we were supposed to be good at, which is the business part. And then we started bringing on team members that was good at the other things. And obviously, if it's a tech part, you then should bring on someone who knows tech. <laughs> if it needs great design, I'm not a designer. I don't know how to do graphics. And then you hire someone that does great design, and that's perfectly okay. But if you look at any business, that's how it starts. If I go back to like. I have a great mentor in, uh, in Rich Dennis from Sundial Brands. And if you ever look at their story with Shea Moister, his mom, it's his mom's company, his mom idea yeah. and company. She was good at the, the making a natural product. The, 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 the family got good at everything else. Mm. It's, a, it's a real family business, you know? you know. Obviously, he had some knowledge in business, and the brother had different knowledge, and, and I think his sister had other knowledge. And then they started to attract investors and other people. That's what it takes. Um, and I think you just have to be open to that. But at the moment you think that you have to do it all, you have just narrowed it into a small business. Yeah. So, Ronnie, the thing that I often hear from individuals that are thinking about tech stuff is like, I don't know how to find a developer. Or if I do go find some tech person, they're going to take my idea and run away with it. And then, you know, I'm on the losing end, and especially in the black community. We have this trust barrier that's just really big. So. How do you find the tech people to work on a project with you? And how do you do that in a way that ensures you still, you know, you don't get somebody that rips off your idea? 
Number number one, right? You, you should. It's just a, it's just bad information. No, no one's going to take your idea. Okay. So you mean so you mean I don't need like a twenty page NDA the first time no, I go no. to? Okay, all right. No, that's not how it works. The point is, I, I tell everybody my ideas. <laughs> it's actually how I get better. It's also how I grow my team. And if you like my idea, like I like my idea, welcome to the team, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I try to invite a lot of people to the idea in the beginning. You, you, most people are like, "Nah, that's not going to never work." I really do do that. I, literally, I tell everybody, and it's a way for me to get feedback. It's a way for me to, to refine the idea, and then mm-hmm. it's also I'm getting good at the stuff that I'm supposed to be good at, which is pitching the business. <laughs> I mean, what else right. are you going to be doing? And if you're not the engineer, if you're not the engineer, you better get real good at pitching the business because that's what you're going to be doing for a lot. The point is, there's so much and tech-enabled businesses that you can do without the engineer. At some point, like you're right, you have to attract an engineer to start to execute. But again, if it's a real tech-enabled business, before you do that, you need to understand either you can make someone a co-founder and have them start to work for free. But you have to think about, if I'm going to build a long-term business, I don't want a contract for doing this. It's not sustainable. It's going to need updates. Every couple months, Apple rolled out an update. If I really want to make something sustainable, I need that team to work for me. Hmm. If I need that team to work for me, I need to hire them. I need money. What's my budgeting plan to hire three to four developers? You know what I mean? And, and yeah. that, that's, you, so, you know, before you even talk to them, you should, you should really understand that part of it. And I, I would tell you before there was a line of code, we had the pitch deck. We had the business model. We had the budget. We knew how much team we needed. We needed when we going to need them. And, and then, and then it's a conversation with, you know, do we want to? Do we want to? What you call it? You know, raise now or raise later. So that decision was not the first step, right? It was not like I have an idea. Let me go get the tech person. Basically, what you're describing is you had worked out all of the other parts. And the person or the team that was going to create the the technology that you were using was really just another part of the overall plan and strategy. Exactly. And I think that's really good information because a lot of people that I have talked to, they're stuck at that part and they feel like I don't have a tech background. I don't have a tech person already. And so there's nothing that I can do. But you're really kind of busting that myth that it's, you need to have the solid business idea established and thought out and budget and cost and then you bring the tech people to the table yeah if you if you are not the technical person what are you are you a ceo you better be the business person you better be the business person it's just it, i i'm always confused by that as well like oh i need a tech person and then i go well what's your what's your unit economics and you don't know it okay Sounds like you got some work to do. So on that work to do, I'd love to hear from you on uh, things that you think people can be using to kind of learn their way to that process. Or is it reading books or podcasts or YouTube or, you know, everybody doesn't necessarily have the MBA and may not want to go back to school and get an MBA. What resources do you think are out there for people that do have an idea and maybe they don't have a really strong individual business background. Do they find a business partner that has the business acumen? What would be your advice in that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I am a huge fan of co-founders. Um, every, I mean, my listener, when it first started, had five. 
to be honest, when when Solo, you know, myself and Travis were the key one, but the team had much bigger. It was much more co-founders at first. The way it's a way for me to get talent. And when you when you if you do this right, and the, what my strategy is that you know all founders, especially in the beginning, have no problem giving you equity, but there there is a standard you have to invest into it. And basically, mm-hmm. what that means is. You have to continue to work on the idea for a period of time until you can actually get the equity. And the best thing about the standard agreement, which everybody does in Silicon Valley, is that there is a cliff. So if you, yeah, within the first year, if you don't do anything, you don't get nothing. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is that means there is zero risk. What are we talking about? But Rodney, people don't know that. That I mean, but a simple thing like that, right, in terms of, how you, you don't need an NDA. You put these types of other things in place that are real incredible. So if you have a person that you think has some value that you can bring to the table, you make them a co-founder, but there's a a cliff on how much equity they get and invest over time. But a lot of people don't know that that's a mechanism and a way to ensure you can bring good people to the table. And those that are really good and that are adding value they're going to stick around. And those that are there because they think it's hot and sexy and then they get bored quickly, they'll phase out and you don't have anything at risk. Exactly. It's, uh, it's like you said, though, it's, I hope these podcasts and these things is how, how you need to learn it. It's how I needed to learn about it, um, for sure. Um, and, um, but, I mean, there, there is a way. And, and there's blog posts. And we talk about you know, what you should do for education, who you should listen to to figure these things out. Uh, you should figure it out. But there's definitely resources that are available. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. So I have one more uh, question for you on this concept of if I'm going to start a business, it needs to be an idea that nobody's ever had before, especially if it's tech, like it's got to be this really far out there thing. What would you say to people that feel like their idea is not good enough or it's not big enough to be a business? Yeah, well, nothing's really new, right? It's rooted in a problem that is as traditional as you can imagine. it. And I give you an example of I had a friend who was really good at car, you know, car washing and he had a mobile car wash business and he would wash my car. And he was so good at it. He had this whole process. And in his mind, he was like, I'm being innovative. And, I, and then when he, you know, he, he was limited to how many cars he can personally wash. You know, I was always like, you should, you know, what about being, you, should, you know, what think about mobile car washing as like an app, like an on-demand app, like you should do it. You should go big. And, and, and the point is he never really got out that box, but you fast forward multiple years um, there's, a, there's multiple tech companies called that, that do the same thing, that do on-demand washing. And it's the same problem, you know, trying to provide convenience around car washing. But one person took that little problem and turned it mm-hmm. into a really big company. 
And that's why I said, you know, making it a big idea is about how many people you think you can serve with the idea. It's not necessarily the idea. So we call it like the addressable market, right? Like how exactly. big is your addressable market? And, and if your addressable market is, is big and you, you start to go through those unit economics of it and all of a sudden, you know, you found you just figured out that people were, were willing to spend 30 percent more than normal on a car wash and that there's millions of cars. And then there's like millions of people need <laughs> car wash. And then, and then you can get then it's a subscription because people love to do that. And then most people who make the most money have multiple cars. I mean, you keep going on and on about the, the you see, all of a sudden this really turned into a yeah. huge idea. Like, wait a minute. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm about to go start me a mobile car wash. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the serendipitous that I think, you know, you should go through that serendipitous nature of discovery. And that's what makes you a good CEO and a good founder before you ever had a line of coke. Yeah. So I have talked to business owners or, or aspiring entrepreneurs, and they feel like if I see that this thing is already in the market, you know, I shouldn't do it because somebody else already is. And I always give the example of like Burger King sells burgers and so does McDonald's and so does Five Guys and Wendy's. Like what makes you think that only one person can do an idea? Have you ever run across that? And what advice would you give somebody that is stuck on the fact that they thought they were the first person to think about it and then they realize someone else is doing it? Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Um, all good ideas, if it's really good, there's multiple people thinking about it. Yeah, because that's the way the world works, right? So whatever your thing may be, and 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 you will get competitors, and it's okay to have a competitor and to think of them as a competitor. But um, what you what's what's very very important is that you figure out what you're going to do different or what you're going to do better. And like Lyft and Uber are great examples of this at at, mm-hmm. a, at a huge scale because um, they're very similar. But one said, yeah. "I'm going to." treat my drivers a certain way. I'm going to treat my people a certain way. So their difference was really about how, how they made people feel um, mm-hmm. and some other things. But for them, that was how, that was their yeah. angle. Or, and, and think about if, if I'm doing a small scale, if you really want to go open up a beauty shop, what is about your beauty shop that's going to be different than the one down the street? Can't be like, is it, is it price? Is it convenience? Is it fast? Is it scheduling? Is it, you start to get to the nuts and bolts of it. And you, all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, I, you should, you know, what, what can I do to make this the most efficient, most best run um, beauty shop and offer something that others can't offer? So it's that practical, just very practical yeah. thought process of differentiation. Yeah, I used to joke, I mean, not joke about it, but <laughs> like dry bar, right? Is it? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, my mom's a beauty shop. So maybe I talk about how to, mom, not, my mom's not a beauty shop, but my mom <laughs> has a beauty shop. Uh, but I, I grew up in a time period where like all the Dominican blowout uh, right. shops were the thing, right? And then mm-hmm. some smart person was like, that is scalable. <laughs> I'm going to turn it into dry bar. Yeah. Am I tripping? Isn't that what happened? That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. I'm just from the outside looking in. It yeah. looks like somebody in our community missed it again because they were thinking it's small. Because, I mean, a blowout, it's like a very simple 
process and it's very like you can get really good at it and you can teach it and train it and people wants to just go do that you you talk about that difference of like somebody seeing the either the trend somebody seeing the addressable market and being willing to take the step to actually do it and that's a that's a huge valley sometimes for people to cross is like the idea into execution exactly it's it's about going big and creating big businesses that's what we got to challenge the entrepreneurs and the business folks that look like you and I is, you know, it's great to build a business, but how do we make it as big as possible? So what part does resources come into that? I'm going to imagine you have raised, you know, money for your businesses that you've been involved in. How much does access to capital and more than just like going to a bank and getting a loan, how does that play into someone's ability to do what we're talking about? I mean, access to capital is the, the huge differentiator. These ideas that I'm giving you is how it makes it easier for you to get capital. But access to capital is probably still the biggest issue. I, I think we I actually think the information is now becoming re- more readily available. I think that we have enough mentorship and programs to help guide us. Yeah. Um, the, the, what we need is the companies and the ideas that, that reach a certain milestone. They just need to get access to funding. And in a more like strategic way. And, and I think if that starts to happen, um, that's the missing piece. For an entrepreneur that's thinking about raising money, are there any points of advice or tips from your personal experience that you would give? You know, my, my probably biggest advice to all is to just go for it. You know, it's, it's not really, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's nothing you can read. There's nothing I can tell you. There's, there's nothing that is going to help you do your idea or business without you learning how to do it yourself. And, and you do that. We learn, we learn by trial and error. Most humans do. Um, that ability to learn is the thing that's going to separate you from the folks that quit and the folks that don't ultimately do it or don't do well. That's important. Thinking about like the people that get stuck in that learning process, right? They're so fixated on like becoming the expert before they go out and do the first pitch or whatever it is. And you talked about, I think, someone you knew that was thinking about getting into the cannabis business. What would you say to people that are stuck at that place where they're, they're, they're trying to learn so much that they're, they're not taking the step to actually do? Yeah, you know, um, that's where, honestly, unfortunately, that's where most people land is the, mm-hmm. that part. It's the concept of like MVP, which is like the minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. The minimum viable product is not perfect. That's why it's the minimum viable product. It's the least amount of work that you can possibly do to validate. So you should approach everything like that, right? (laughs) When I decided to go into financial services, I literally was like, what's the least that I need to know to know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's the least that I need to know for me to start to be dangerous? And then I went Hmm. out there. That's it. Because, I, listen, there's no reason for me to become a PhD or something that's going to ultimately fail. I need to do a little bit now, go to the market, see see how they respond. All right, I need to learn a little bit more. Okay, cool. Now I got a little bit more. Wow, now I'm going to the next thing. And uh, this process of just going and, and going out with, a, with the least amount of effort is why MVPs and minimal viable products work. Um, because it allows you to test your problem, your, your hypothesis and your solution at different stages. 
Um, and, and you have to get that feedback and refinement and, and you, or, or, or ultimately you're going to invest too much time and energy into something that, or in a, in a direction that may not be good enough. And so that process of going back out to market every time is really like that iterative process. You're going and getting real on the spot feedback, or at least learning what your customer likes, doesn't like, what works, what doesn't work. So you can make those changes before you spend a bunch of time and money on a thing that just, you know, maybe one minor tweak would have made the world of difference. Exactly. So what do you think for yourself is something that you wish you either knew or would have done earlier in your journey as you're starting your businesses? I think, um, I would have told myself to do it earlier. You know, this concept of like, I got to learn this and, or I got to go to school or I got to go and do this. You just be careful with that because you have to get out there and you have to get yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and, and that's, you can't substitute that. Can't substitute it at all. And I think I would have always been at comp- tech company to post eight years of going tech. But I, I probably could have did that at 21. I probably could have did that at 20. Yeah. But I, I was, you know, I was kind of in this prefabricated, structured things that somebody told me I was supposed to go out and go to school and, you know, become, you know, be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And then I was supposed to didn't work for a couple of years. And then I was supposed <laughs> to go do this. And, you know, I loved all the stuff we're supposed to go out and do. Um, right. And it doesn't make no sense. Well, it's for it's it's uh, it's easy for 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 us as minorities. I guess it's more important. Different groups have the luxury to let their children aspire and dream. Yeah, particularly about business. Um, we we tend to only let you know our children aspire and dream about. The, the predefined list of things you're supposed to go out and do <laughs> that yeah. that has been someone else told me that was that was what success looks like. I would I would challenge it each and every day. You know, right. I think that's a very important thing to bring into the conversation about the freedom to just dream the freedom and the the ability to take that risk, because for so many people, they are looking at like, if my kid or if I, as an adult, am in this, like, safe career, you know, everybody in my family, maybe I'm the first one to graduate college or maybe I'm the first one to reach an executive level position in a company, I should just keep doing that. And to be in a position where you feel the freedom to take the risk or you've been encouraged to take the risk puts you in a very different position in terms of your ability to go out and try and and do these different things. So I appreciate you bringing that into the conversation and also specifically calling out the fact that like as parents, because I have two teenage boys, they have a small soap company. So my parents were entrepreneurs and didn't have a large scalable business, but, you know, had a printing company that took care of our family. I saw that taking risk was okay, And so I didn't really think about the fact that a lot of people that I knew that wasn't their their norm. Their their parents just worked worked jobs, so that's a different uh, perspective than a lot of people have. Exactly. No, I'm completely in, in agreement. You started out with a quote about something that uh, Elon Musk said on Clubhouse, but I feel like there's all these different platforms out here now. You know, you have people that are 
on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, Twitter, now Clubhouse. What do you say to people that are in this space where they're going to all these different forums looking for that like sage wisdom and advice and are finding it from the professional marketer that's selling you, here's my plan and strategy for successful business. What would you tell people about going to all these platforms to kind of find that validation of if they should be moving into entrepreneurship or not? You have to be very weary of someone selling you how to do something. Yeah, I probably could host a class on how to raise $40 million, but I actually make money just doing it. <laughs> I don't have time or to teach people. If, I, if I'm teaching you and, and it's, I mean, I'm trying to like be notable about it and gain notoriety for it, it's because that is my business. My business is in the business to teach other people. I used to tell my teachers that, my business teachers that. Because it's like you, you telling me how to do business, but it's, you're not Elon Musk. You're, you, you, you are theory based. Some professors actually did it, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a saying, those that can't do teach. You know, this is not to hate on the teachers out there because there are some people who have the gift of teaching and they are able to take complex ideas and simplify them and and put them in a way that someone now can take that information and go execute and do something with. But there is also this notion that people have have created a persona, especially online. I mean, you've got like hashtag boss, everybody's a boss and, you know, and are out here getting people kind of confused about what entrepreneurship and building a scalable business is actually really like. Yeah, I completely, completely, completely I, I agree about it. It, it. Sometimes it bothers me, I, but you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at the ingenuity, um, <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, there's no get rich scheme, right? There's no fast way to a million dollars. There's no rocket science either. It right. takes work um, each and every day and you attacking it with as much energy and as much intelligence as you have. What will separate you is if you keep doing it, I don't care how bad you start out, you're going to get really good at it. You know, I think you made the point earlier Apple does updates all the time, or you can't get to version 12 of the iPhone if you don't actually do version one. Anything that you would leave the listeners with as we exit today? Any words of advice, your final thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, you know, I don't have too much outside of learn well, practice to learn, focus. Uh, You know, creative people, we love to do many things, try to keep it to two um, or less and build a team. Build something big. Build something so big, you can actually hire your entire family, and it, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> even if they don't know what they're doing, right? <laughs> I, I, listen, I, I have a good friend of mine, and uh, his name is named Dave Salvant, um, Squire. Squire, I think, just raised another $60 million. Um, it's a platform for barbershops, and it's one of my favorite. Mm-hmm story because he went through the entire thing of like, oh, I just wanted to create better scheduling for barbershop. Investors told him that's not big enough. So he's like, okay, well, what's bigger? So then he started to say, I'm going to do the point of sale system. And then, so then he became the point of sale system for this industry because it's, it's mainly cash. Then he said, I'm going to yeah. go out and start giving, giving them small business loans. So now Squire is like the financial powerhouse powering barbershops and they're, they're mm-hmm. killing it, right? Point is, last time I talked to him, this is when I knew I was happy. I was like, I think his, his two sisters now work at Squire. 
His mom works at Squire. Everybody works at Squire. Right. Because guess what? When you're really big, you just need a lot of stuff. Because he, he's, over, he's over 100 employees. He's going to 200. You, and, and there's something for everybody to do. And that's what we should dream to be. Like, so big that, like, even my mom, who is a hairdresser, I may just be like, you know what? We got hairdressing services in the <laughs> office free for anybody every Friday. You know why? Because I want to hire my mom. So what? Right. That's what we should strive to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm with all of that. I'm for it. I'm with it. But the thing that I will take away, Rodney, from this that I wrote down are we're all going to change our language and our verbiage. I, too, am a technologist, even if I'm just a user. And I'm going to think bigger and go bigger when we start talking about building businesses. We got to think big. So I really appreciate the time that you gave us being on the podcast. We know you're busy. You know that you uh, you never stop. You're always working. And so we appreciate the time today and enjoyed our conversation and look forward to your success with listener and solo funds and, you know, whatever the business you decide to cook up in the future. Yo, because guess what? You know it's going to be some more. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> but just two awesome. at a time, right? Two at a time. <laughs> just two at a time. Just no more than two at a time. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was great to hear from both Rodney and Danielle today. They're both finding ways to do big things in the challenging world of entrepreneurship. I'm Ray Leach, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Don't miss the next episode of Innovation Inequality when guest Candace Matthews Bracken joins us for a conversation titled The Venture Capitalist, Bridging the Gap. Consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would, please help us out with a great rating and a quick review. Innovation Inequality is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Thanks to our producer and audio engineer, Dave Douglas, and co-producer, Vicki McDonald.